Blog Talk Radio.
I'm extra excited about today's show, as you can tell, because I even broke into the intro music, because we're doing something completely different and very dear to my heart. That's why we began with Dave Barnes singing, All I Want for Christmas is You. Now, we call today's show Two Christmases. It co-stars George and Lizette Bettinger, who will be reading the parts of Harry and Elizabeth Lawrence in a taped version of Chapter One from It Had to Be Us, the award-winning romantic memoir my husband and I wrote under those pen names. And I'm so happy that Nikki Starr is here to help with the show today because she was one of the early fans of this romantic memoir. So, Nikki, thank you so much for helping to get the word out about uh, It Had to Be Us when it was uh, first launched. I'm so glad you're here today. It is my pleasure, and I love the memoir so much. I loved it. Well, your opinion means a lot to me. What what was it uh, about about the little book that uh, you liked the most? Well, there were several things, but it was very tenderly written, which I adored, and I loved both takes, both yours and his, and I just loved the human spirit and how you guys came back together and realized what was important. I mean, like, not, I'm not negating anything that happened. I'm just saying that you both came around and realized that love is really what was important, and it was just so touching to me. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, that means so much to uh, to Larry and to me, and if you'll remember... Chapter 1 deals with two special Christmases that started Harry and Elizabeth on Mm -hmm. the road back to each other because Mm -hmm. they'd been estranged and divorced for almost 20 years. Wow. And um, Mm -hmm. you've kind of hinted at this. It's in a he-remembers-she-remembers format. But um, I don't know whether I told you this uh, or not uh, before, Nikki, the... That format is being changed by um, Misha Zubrov, who is the filmmaker who's doing mm-hmm. the movie adaptation. And um, that's a kind of a hard format, you know, to transfer to screen. I could see so that would be the case, yeah. And so he's added yeah. a lot of uh, visual touches. Nice. Um, the screenplay that I've read is not uh, completely like the 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 romantic memoir, but it's got the same spirit, and um, I I really do think that he's done a great job on that, and I'm I'm so very grateful to George and Lizette for taking Mm -hmm. part uh, in today's episode, and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just going to tell, remind listeners a little bit about their their backgrounds before we we hear them. Uh, George, of course, you remember... Nikki, he's been on our show a number of times. Oh, yeah. He's one of our favorite guests. He's an actor, comedian, producer, writer, and director. And he's won acclaim for his uncanny impressions, which he's done on our show before. <laughs> Groucho Marx, he's great. George Byrne. He's great. Yep. And the Three Stooges. I, I think he's been on and done Boris Karloff and Dracula and some of the some other uh, comedians. And his wife... She's equally talented. She's a very versatile actress, and I didn't know this um, before I uh, started doing research on her. She's a soprano. She's had a soprano um, experience at the Metropolitan Opera. I have heard her sing, and oh, what a beautiful voice she has. Now, uh, they're so much fun together, Lizette and George. They are. And they have a very entertaining 
radio show called The Mom and Pop Shop Show, which airs on Dreamstream Radio. And they're trying to bring back the golden era of radio, and I just appreciate them so much. I call them Mr. and Mrs. Showbiz. Yeah, they uh, are. I, they're great. They're, mm-hmm. I think they go for comedy more than drama, so we probably should point out that they'll be displaying more of their dramatic than comic talents on today's tape because they're reading the what I call the bittersweet section of the book. And, of course, they're totally believable, whether they're doing comedy or drama. Uh, Nikki, the tape runs a little o- over 18 minutes, but then we'll have um, an oldie but goodie and very appropriate song performed by the great Tony Babino. Then after the tape, we'll have time for for more information about the book. And um, you and I will be in the in the chat room so while the tape is going on. So we hope that some of our listeners will join us in the chat room. We really appreciate that, and as well as uh, all our other listeners. So sit back, relax, and listen. If I can find it on the switchboard here, I'm I'm looking very carefully, and I think I'm almost there. Okay. You're going to listen to Chapter 1 as Harry and Elizabeth share what they remember about two Christmases way back in the 1990s. I can't stop thinking of her. 
and the way we were, the pain of seeing her again is devastating. Elizabeth remembers. Claire told me she asked her dad to come over on Christmas morning. She wondered if I would mind since I planned to stay all night at her house on Christmas Eve. I said, no, not at all. But the same old anxiety came over me anyway. What would Harry think of me after all these years? What would we talk about? Would I get a hug? But not necessarily in that order. I got up at the ridiculous hour of 4 a.m. to dress and put on makeup so I wouldn't look so bad when he arrived. He showed up around 8.30 in the morning. Hi, how are you, he asked, followed by, what are you doing now? I explained I was working long hours each day at my new job as a college vice president, to which he replied, oh, just like you always did. That hurt, but it gave me something to think about. While I was alone in the kitchen for a short time before he left, Harry came into the room and said, Never forget, Elizabeth, you're a survivor. Because he seemed so caring and dear at the moment, I knew he regretted his earlier harsh comment. I just had to hug him, and that one embrace warmed my heart as nothing had for 19 long years. I couldn't help remembering our good times together. I thought about how much I loved being close to him and about the tears I shed when he left me. During one of our last conversations before we parted, I remember telling him I thought we would never hug again. I would die. To be honest with myself, I couldn't figure the bad times either. I recall the night I admitted myself to an alcoholism treatment facility. Ironically, it was on St. Patrick's Day, not exactly the day I usually celebrated one of my favorite holidays. Harry had gone to the dog races. I refused to participate in He refused to participate in the program with me, claiming he couldn't get in touch with his feelings. This devastated me. I knew he was codependent and needed help too. It also reinforced my low opinion of myself because of my drinking weight gain, and what I thought was the loss of Harry's love. I felt so alone. After the divorce, I was vulnerable and married again, too, too quickly, and on the rebound. I know now this was not fair because I still had such strong feelings for Harry. However, my excessive guilt motivated me to try to make the best of a bad situation, I went into a kind of a trance-like existence in which I was easily manipulated. I repressed so much in order to survive. March 1994, Harry remembers. I hear from Elizabeth in March in a card expressing sympathy about the death of my mother who passed away in February. Because it's signed regards Elizabeth, I feel hurt by such coldness. My love for this woman has destroyed all my relationships with others these many years, so I harbor a deep resentment that she can go on as if nothing had happened in the years we were together. Oh, well, I have a good life. I play golf with my friends every day, watch television every night, and have all the money I need. No problem. 
Christmas Day, 1994, Elizabeth remembers. Again this year, my daughter told me she had invited her dad over for Christmas morning, and this time I really look forward to seeing him. But he didn't arrive until close to noon. Did he think I would have gone by then? When he came in, we were all playing Scrabble. He looked so good to me, but I was very worried about the scars on my face from a recent skin cancer surgery and how I would look to him. Later, he offered to take me back to my sister Bridget's house since our daughter was busy with Christmas obligations. While driving to my sister's, Harry told me he still thought I was the greatest person and that he felt that I had been a good part of his life. He even touched my hand at one point. This surprised and delighted me. He said he hoped I had no animosity toward him for the past because of he had suffered from his tunnel vision. When we arrived at my sister's place, he was just going to let me go in alone, but I said, you wouldn't let an opportunity like this go by, would you? We could cause quite a scene here. He agreed immediately, which proved his great sense of humor was still intact. We went inside together, much to the astonishment of everyone. I will be grateful forever to my brother-in-law for asking Harry a question I was not brave enough to ask. Are you still playing the dogs? Greyhounds. Harry answered, only a couple of times a year when Dottie and Will, my sister and brother-in-law, come to visit. That answer was the best Christmas present I could have ever received. It meant one of our major problems from the past was no longer there. It was a Merry Christmas indeed. Harry remembers. I must go to my daughter's home for Christmas, and Elizabeth will be there again. It will be easier to see her this time. I have hardened myself against my feelings for her. I have been so foolish these many years, thinking, hoping she might still care for me. She's a widow now. Could there be something between us again? No way. I tell myself, but uh, no problem. She looks better than last year. It seems she has retired and writes movie reviews. I hope she is happy in taking care of herself. I also can't help wondering if she possesses someone new. No, I don't want to know. When she needs a ride to her sister's, though hesitant, I volunteer. I feel the need to say a few things to her in private. Driving along with Elizabeth, I experience tender feelings for her as well as a hard need to get back to her. I just want you to know how much I admired your accomplishments when we were married, I tell her. She turns her head and smiles sweetly, so I continue. I remember how we used to love going to the movies together. You must really enjoy writing reviews. I want her to realize that at least I haven't forgotten her past. When we arrive at Bridget's house, we decide to pretend we are back together again in order to observe the shocked reactions of her sister and brother-in-law. It seems to work, and I feel a closeness with her again. However, while driving home, I reflect that she's given me no recognition of the good times we shared in the past. The end of December 1994, Elizabeth remembers. 
The next day I wrote Harry a note thanking him for driving me to my sister's and for the nice things he said about me. I also explained that I had no animosity toward him, only good feelings. I suggested that we go to dinner or a movie before I left for California. If he was interested, I indicated he would call me at our daughter's or at my sister's. A couple of days later, he phoned me, and we made arrangements to meet on New Year's Day. When Bridget asked me, what's all this with Harry? I answered, I really don't know. But I did realize it was impossible to hide my excitement and nervousness about our date. Harry remembers. I received a letter from Elizabeth a couple of days after Christmas. She thanked me for taking her to her sisters for the nice things I said to her. It was signed, Fondly Elizabeth. I decided to call her about dinner and movie suggestion, knowing I can come up with some excuse later. But then I think that fondly, hmm, she signed her, her note. Oh, what the hell. I'll go. New Year's Day, 1995. Harry remembers. On New Year's Day, we go to dinner in a small Italian restaurant. She looks so beautiful across from me. I think to myself, this will be our last meeting. She will go back to Los Angeles and marry someone else. Again, I will not have to see her anymore. Maybe if she did remarry, my love for her would finally die. However, the thought of her being with someone else again is unbearable. We discuss our two children and how loving they are with our grandchildren. We agree the hectic environment that they were raised in has not affected them severely. Elizabeth reveals to me a considerable tax problem that she can't resolve. At first, I find it hard to understand how a person with a salary like hers get, get, can get into such trouble with taxes. Then I remember how she used to borrow secretly from loan companies to pay tuition for students who couldn't afford to college. Still, up to her old tricks, probably. When we order dinner, I find out that she is now a vegetarian and ask crudely, are you in some kind of a California cult? I get an explanation, but I don't understand. She some, says something about not eating anything once had a face. <laughs> and then talks about various allergic reactions to all things. After dinner, we go to a movie. The comedy Dumb and Dumber seems appropriate for our situation. I want to hold her hand. This was something we always did during a movie, but I can't make the move. It would be like a promise I couldn't keep, and worse still, it might be rejected. Hearing Elizabeth's laughter in the movie makes me feel so good. After the movie, I want to take her someplace where we could lie down and just hold her for a while. Of course, I could not ask for that. That night, she tells me plans to leave on Friday. Her sister will be taking to her to La Junta to catch the train back to Los Angeles. I think about asking her to let me take her down the night before so she can avoid the long drive on her departure day. Of course, my plan is to spend the night with her. However, I always love that aura of innocence in her personality that manifests itself in her trust of people, so I cannot ask her for what I believe would be a one-night stand. No problem. After all, my life is just fine now. I play golf every day with my friends, watch television, and have all the money I need. Elizabeth remembers. 
After treating the family to a New Year's brunch at the Holiday Inn, I went back to Bridget's house to rest and to get ready for dinner and a movie with Harry. It was hard to think of anything else the entire day. Even though I needed a nap desperately, I had stayed up all night at my daughter's to celebrate New Year's Eve. I couldn't sleep. Our dinner was delicious, but Harry seemed a bit upset over my vegetarianism and allergies. The movie, Dumb and Dumber, left a lot to be desired, but it was such fun to laugh again. I was disappointed when Harry didn't hold my hand during the movie. But afterwards, he was very solicitous to my footing in the snow and took my arm several times to steady me. It felt good. On the way back to my sister's, I suggested he might like to visit me in California sometime. I said he could sleep upstairs in my condo, and I would sleep on the couch downstairs. He shocked me with, I don't think I like those sleeping arrangements. I was speechless. Then he said, well, I suppose all the romance is over anyway. I composed myself a little and replied, it's never too late for romance. When I got to the door, I parodied a line from the movie we had just seen and teased, well, how about a big hug? He gave me one and made my day. January 3rd, 1995, Elizabeth remembers. To my deep disappointment, I hadn't heard from Harry since our date on New Year's Day. I decided to call him. I thanked him for the dinner, and I said I had a great time. He admitted that he did, too, and asked me if I was going back to Los Angeles. I reminded him that my sister was driving me to La Junta on Friday. I then re-extended my invitation to him to visit, but I felt I was being much too aggressive. I was surprised when he seemed to like the idea. He said he had to finish his carport and some paperwork regarding his mother's estate. Then he would let me know when he could make the trip. I tried not to appear too excited to get my hopes up because I didn't want to be hurt again. Still, I couldn't help thinking of Harry all the rest of the time when I was in Colorado. When Bridget asked me if Harry had a girlfriend, I answered, I don't know. She said, why don't you ask him? I replied, because it's none of my business. But I really wanted to know myself. January 1995, Harry remembers. I receive a letter from Elizabeth thanking me for the dinner and the movie and inviting me out to Los Angeles again. She said I could attend some press screenings with her. The letter was signed, Love, Elizabeth. I interpret the love as a generic form of the word, but I call her anyway. I lie and I say I would love to come out, but I have a lot of responsibilities for the Senior Golf League and can't set a date at this time. In no way would it be possible for me to be in the same house she shared with someone else in the past. Knowing I would not go out there, I decided to tease her. I asked what, what are the living arrangements would be like. She says she would sleep downstairs and I could sleep upstairs. What, no romance, I exclaim? She tells me anything is possible or something like that. I now have a problem.
which seems like a good segue into reading one of Elizabeth's re reviews that she included in, in the extended edition. So here's what Elizabeth, and of course that's me, had to say about one of my favorite Christmas movies because of the, the romance in it, and, and that film is Love Actually. Romance, laughter, and tears blend seamlessly in Love Actually, a fast-paced movie about the agony and ecstasy of love as experienced by several colorful characters during the five weeks before Christmas. Don't worry, folks. It's a large ensemble cast, but that enhances the movie rather than detracts from the film's universal love theme. Now, I've never been a fan of movies focusing on numerous characters. I get all mixed up and uh, can't follow them, but I quickly became infatuated with Love Actually and actually fell in love with more than one of its protagonists. Well, that's fickle of me, I know. Still, how could anyone resist Hugh Grant as an unmarried British prime minister who, after meeting an appealing new staff member, dances down the stairs when he thinks no one is watching? Or Colin Firth, be still my heart, playing a writer enamored of his Portuguese housekeeper and struggling valiantly to communicate with her. Or Alan Rickman as a boss trying not to cheat on his intelligent, charming wife of many years, played by the great Emma Thompson, while being tempted by one of the sexiest executive assistants in filmdom. Or Liam Neeson, portraying a bereaved husband involved in his nine-year-old stepson's plan to win the girl's, girl of his dreams. Or, well, you see what I mean. You know what? The original screening I attended, other members of the audience felt the same way. It's the first time I've heard people go, ah, out loud over a movie kiss. That happened when Colin Firth finally buzzed his lovely housekeeper. And with the exception of horror films, I've never heard viewers shout out, no, don't do that. But it occurred here when a character stopped making love to answer the phone. So obviously nobody wanted anything to interfere with this love-starved couple getting together. Those are the stories I became most emotionally involved in. However, others also held my interest, including the one featuring Andrew Lincoln, who, by the way, is the leading man in the uh, Walking Dead TV series now. He played a man stealing himself against strong feelings for his best friend's wife, played by Tiara Knightley, and another showcasing two surprisingly shy body doubles, played by Martin Freeman and Joanna Page, for sex, sexually explicit movie scenes. They were, they were very, very shy, and here they were involved in, all, in putting on these, these sexual exploits for movie scenes. That's not, um, not R-rated or X-rated. Uh, it, it really was very well done. Although everyone in this great ensemble cast is terrific, I think Emma Thompson stands out because of her emotional roller coaster performance. In one scene, she changes in the blink of an eye from crying copious tears because she kind of knows what's going on with her husband to uh, immediately expressing enthusiasm for a family outing. That was very impressive. And yet, I laughed the most at Bill Nye's antics as a faded and cynical rock star making a comeback with a ridiculous Christmas version of Love is All Around. This movie offers 
everyone a joyous reminder that love is all around, and that's not a bad message for the Christmas season. Now, it's time for brief messages from two of our loyal listeners. You're listening to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker. She's the real deal in what's happening on film. And if you're not real careful, you might hear the confessions of a movie addict. So get your popcorn and stay right there in your seat for Movie Addict Headquarters. And now back to our feature. Confessions of a Movie Addict, because uh, here, this is a shameless plug. (laughs) That book of mine would also make a fun gift for movie fans on your holiday shopping list. It's available on Amazon.com as a paperback and in the Kindle store as an e-book. Plus, Nancy's comments about Show Me the Money are very important because I donate my author's royalties for that book to the Film Foundation, and that's an organization founded by Martin Scorsese to help with film preservation. I understand Steve will be hosting his own radio shows after the first of the year on Bear Manor Radio. And, of course, Nancy is the hilarious host of Comedy Concept, which airs on Monday and Friday mornings on um, Blog Talk Radio at 10.30 Eastern Time. Sorry to say our time is almost up now, so I want to thank George and Lizette Bettinger for sharing their talents with us today. Please check out their wonderful mom-and-pop shop show on DreamStream Radio. It airs Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and is filled to the brim with entertaining interviews, colorful characters, and great music. You'll absolutely love it. And I think George himself is in the chat room. And, George, so glad that you could could join in um, the, the chat as well as lend your talents to the reading, the wonderful reading that you and Lizette gave of Chapter 1 of It Had to Be Us. I'd also like to give another big shout-out to Denise Casino for her terrific work in connection with the publication and Kindle launch of It Had to Be Us. Special thanks to Diana Sanger and Lori Williams for believing in this book and publishing earlier versions, as well as to filmmaker Misha Zubarev for his extraordinary dedication to this project. To Danny Dyer and Richard B. Smart for their technical magic. To Priscilla Leona, host of Question Reality, for her enthusiastic support. To the wonderful Nikki Starr for being such a great producer. To the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support and to all our listeners for tuning in. We hope everyone enjoyed the show, and uh, I would like to say a few words about what's coming up the rest of the month. 
next week we have our annual tribute to a Christmas story featuring an interview with Zach Ward, the actor who played the mean red-haired bully in the movie. The week after, we will be uh, doing a uh, tribute to the Shawshank Redemption because it's celebrating its 20th anniversary. Can you believe that? 20 years since the Shawshank Redemption was released. And then the last week in December, we will uh, be doing a show on the best movies of 2014, and we're inviting film critics Mac Bates and uh, the Mad Movie Man, A.J. Hockery, to join us on that show. In the meantime, don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. So here's the legendary Judy Garland closing the show with a lovely Christmas wish we're sending out to all our Blog Talk Radio listeners. your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Until then.